haven't been here with us, last week uh, we tackled the issue of homosexuality and we looked at the passages of Scripture um, that speak in this, this, uh, this issue. And so if you weren't able to be here with us, we encourage you to go onto our website, cocalico.church. That's where you can listen to the messages um, online and uh, hear the ones that you might have missed before this week. And so as I was preparing for this series, I, I wanted to find a way for us to continue to understand the wrestling and the struggle. Um, as you're going to hear in just a few moments, for, for far too long the church has ignored this struggle of the homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And the church is just now starting to become more aware of it and recognizing our part in this challenge. And so uh, I was introduced by an individual named Denny who's agreed to come this morning and share his story and share an amazing story of what God has done uh, to redeem and to transform his life, and he's been willing to come and share that story with him. So would you uh, warmly welcome Denny as he comes and shares with us this morning. Thank you, Russ. Well, good morning. Hello. <laughs> it's really good being here. Uh, I do want to say a huge thanks to your pastor uh, for inviting me here. And worship leaders, wow. I don't even feel like I need to say anything. I mean, that set was just my story. So thank you so much for that. You know, I love the story of Lazarus found in John 11. It's one of the more familiar scenes in the Bible. We see a crowd gathered around a tomb and Jesus standing there saying, Lazarus, come out. The crowd's gathered. They're quiet. They're holding their breath. We don't know how long they waited, but Lazarus comes out. Some are fearful. Some are scared. Some are excited. Uh, whatever it was, a big noise erupted when Lazarus came stumbling out of that tomb. And Jesus had to stop the noise and say, hey, unwrap the grave clothes. The man could hardly walk. Let him loose. You see, Jesus had given Lazarus new life, but the remnants of the tomb were holding him tight and he could barely move. I want you to hang on to that image because we're going to return to it later. First of all, I want to explain something. I am not a counselor. I am not a theologian. But I am a son of God adopted into, Jesus, into God's family through Jesus. And I'm here this morning to tell you my story. More importantly, I'm here to tell you his story because the only reason I am standing here is because of Jesus' love and mercy. My journey begins in the middle of the last century. My parents were extremely young when I was born, the first of six kids. I was raised in a devoutly Christian home. We went to church every Sunday morning, Sunday school, church, Sunday evening, midweek prayer service, revival services, VBS. If the doors were open, we were there. At the feet of my grandmother, I heard stories about my great uncle, who was a missionary in China. And my grandma firmly believed that God had a ministry for me, and she prayed for me daily, every day of her life. And I was in third grade when I asked Jesus to come into my heart. 
In high school, I was part of the Lancaster Youth for Christ clubs. I worship frequently at my girlfriend's church as well as my own. Following graduation from high school, I attended the ultra-conservative Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. It seemed like the course of my life was set. Nice Christian family, check. High school diploma, check. College, then marry my high school sweetheart, have two kids and a dog. It was the American dream. It's what people did. Well, that's a nice story, but it's not quite the whole story. During my early formative years, my dad, having six kids, worked a lot. I didn't see that much of him. So I was primarily raised by my grandma, my mom, and my aunts. I don't ever remember having a male friend until sometime maybe when I was in second or third grade. Simple fact that there just weren't any boys living around where I lived. I grew up just outside of Lilith's, and I told the other uh, crowd this morning, uh, Sunday nights, my cousins and I would sit on my grandparents' porch on Route 501 and count cars going back and forth from Lilith's to Lancaster. And we thought it was a big deal if we hit 25. And that's a true story. It was it was rural back in, in the 50s. Well, when I was seven years old, I initiated sex with another boy who was one year older than me. And in junior high, I discovered homosexual porn on a magazine rack at a local soda fountain. And it wasn't long after when I acted out with another boy in my class when I got my driver's license. I discovered that there were places in 1960s Lancaster where I could cruise and meet other men for sex. I knew this wasn't the norm. I'd heard the names in the locker rooms, queer, faggot, all those goodies. But that couldn't have possibly have been me, right? At one point, I went to a youth counselor, a youth pastor, and I told him what was going on. Well, he was pretty embarrassed. Uh, but he prayed with me. And then I went to a Billy Graham crusade and talked to a counselor, and his advice was that I invite a nice girl to the prom and everything would work itself out. Didn't quite work out like that. You see, in the 50s and early 60s and 70s, homosexuality wasn't really a topic. We didn't talk about it at all. My sexual encounters he continued, even in the heart of the Bible Belt, Greenville, South Carolina, while I was in college. In fact, they escalated. The winter of my senior year at Bob Jones, I left. I was disillusioned, and I returned home to Lancaster. I felt lost. I didn't know what to do next. The little game plan that I thought I had was clearly not going to happen. As it turned out, I wasn't the only disillusioned young man in America. Times were, as Bob Dylan sang, a changin'. I was in my mid-twenties, living in my first apartment in downtown Lancaster, designing windows for Watt and Shan, Hagers, and TMB, and running around with a popular crowd from Franklin and Marshall. In Lancaster City, or any small city or town in the United States, if an establishment was thought to be a gathering place for homosexuals, it could be raided and those inside arrested and thrown into jail, even if they weren't doing anything sexual. If I were walking down the street at night near such an establishment, 
I could expect to have derogatory names tossed at me, or worse. A revolution started in the late 60s, early 70s, and it happened at a tiny New York City bar, the Stonewall Inn. There was a riot where the homosexual men and women inside fought back against the New York police. No longer would homosexual men cower in fear of name-calling or getting beat up. We took ownership of the name queer. We took ownership of the name faggot. At the Stonewall Bar, homosexuals fought back. And across America, men and women fought back. And for the first time, we used that phrase, we're out, we're loud, and we're proud. Now, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in that last, par last paragraph, I began to use the pronoun we. Because for the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged. I was part of something big. And I embraced a new identity. Drugs, rock and roll, and sex had come to Lancaster County. And I was at the heart of the action, fueled by alcohol and any number of drugs Anonymous sex became routine. By the time I was in my oh, 25 to maybe moving on to 30, I was totally disenchanted with anything that had to do with churches. For many years, my life was one big long party, waking up to nameless people and wondering how I'd gotten there. And we're talking hundreds. One evening, a close gay friend who had also grown up in a church, asked me, do you think we'll ever be able to forget those things that we were taught from the Bible when we were kids? And even then, I knew, without a doubt, that God's word had somehow infiltrated my life. I can also tell you that I knew that I had parents and grandparents that were praying for me daily, even though they didn't have a clue how deeply I had sunk and how broken I truly was. It was a Memorial Day, day full of drinking and drugs, and I fell apart that night. I called my dad. It's the first time I ever remember asking dad for help. I said, he said, he's, okay, I'm coming to pick you up. So I waited outside my apartment on North Queen Street, and he pulled in, and we headed off, and it dawned on me, we're not going home. We're going to the hospital. Well, I wasn't going to have anything to do with that. When we got to the hospital, I jumped out of the car and started running. And my dad, who's a, a burly little guy, grabbed hold of me, wrestled me to the ground. He said, you are my son, and I'm not letting go. And he wasn't the only father not letting me go that night. While I was in the hospital, a young pastor came to see me. He had just started a church in Lidditz. Pastor Jerry didn't preach. He didn't tell me I was going to hell. He did pray, shared a little bit about his faith, and he invited me to come visit if I ever felt like it. No pressure. Well, it was about two years later, and I was driving from my parents' house in Lidditz to a part-time job in Lancaster. And I pulled my car over along 501, there by the Overlook Golf Course outside of Nestville, and I said, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. I can't go on like this. Please change my life. If repentance means turning around, 
uh, I did that, literally. I turned my car around, and I went back and visited that little church in Lidditz. And slowly, and I mean really, really slowly, I began to see God working in my life. Through the ministry of that church, I did begin to grow. And God provided a way for me to go back, finish my college degree at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. And when I got out of school in 1981, I started working at that little church. But it's also at that same time that I received some of the worst counsel I've ever received. Do not share your same-sex struggles with anyone in the church. They're not going to understand. Well, week after week, I would listen to testimonies. And I'd hear men who were healed from alcoholism or drug addiction. I'd hear about a marriage that had been restored after major infidelity. And I'd hear testimonies from people who had spent time in prison. And all the while, I was white-knuckling my own temptations and usually failing. And I was hearing this message over and over. Once you're gay, you're always gay. Gay is different. It's abhorrent. It's the end of the downward spiral. You cannot change. Folks, I was Lazarus. I believed Jesus had called me to new life, but I was deeply, deeply entangled in addictive grave clothing, and I didn't know how to get out. I believed God's word. I just wasn't sure of how to get free from this addictive lifestyle. I prayed, and I didn't get it. Why didn't God just snap his fingers and change me? Was I angry at God? Oh, yeah, big time. I found a Christian counselor, and after six months, he looked at me and said, Denny, he said, I really don't know anything about homosexuality. And I'm thinking, after six months, it took you this long? Found another one. And after a few months, I thought, hey, this guy's hitting on me. I'd been told not to share my struggle at church. So I didn't have a prayer group praying for me. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a discipleship group. I was alone. I was stuck. And how do you handle that? Well, someone counseled me once, you know, you should just stop having sex. Well, duh, you think? Now, for all my straight friends out there, how many of you could willingly just stop having sex? You don't have to raise your hand, by the way. Those of you that might be overeaters, just stop those eating binges. Or, hey, just quit gossiping. Or, how about that porn issue? How's that going for you? Are you just stopping? I don't mean to make light of that. For me, just stopping what was an addiction wasn't going to happen. So how did I handle all of this? Well, not well. I chose to live two very distinct lifestyles. There was the public Denny, who had now become a highly respected member of ministries, both local and national. And then there was that private, secret, hidden Denny, who was having sex on the down low. Lots of it. And added to all of this, one by one, friends began to die from a mysterious disease. 
Within all this craziness, I became a youth minister to over 200 teens. And I received a national award, heady stuff. I became a licensed pastor. And in August 1999, I was one of two men nominated for National Youth Pastor of the Year by the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches. Now, I'm not bragging about any of that, but because on the evening of December 9th, that same year, reality hit. You see, gang, God isn't mocked. What we sow, we reap. At approximately 6.15 on December 9th, 1999, I was arrested for soliciting a policeman. When that officer flashed his badge, I lost everything, my career, my friends, my church family. And as my sin hit the newspapers and airwaves, even members of the gay community turned their backs. My name, my integrity, lost. I went into hiding. Breathing was difficult. I didn't want to live. So, one evening, driving from Lilith's to my home in Mannheim, I began to see each telephone pole as a target. I wanted to die. I wanted to end it all. It was the only way out. But a still, small, quiet voice in here urged me to pull my car over. I pulled into the parking lot of Kreider's Farm Market. And when I got out of my car, I saw a rainbow stretched over Lilith's. And this verse came to mind. I will never leave you or forsake you. You are more than entitled to be skeptical. But I promise you, I don't think I'd be here this morning were it not for that experience. God used a little middle school girl, Ashley McMonagall, who placed a mixed cassette tape. Remember those? Yeah. Mixed cassette tape in my mailbox. It was Christian music. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Bearing my sin, my cross, my shame. Jesus, you are my all in all. And I played that tape, that song on that tape, constantly as I drove my car to the only job I could find, working the 3 to 11 at Turkey Hill in Cleona. For nearly two full years, I existed, just barely. You know, earlier I stated that on December 9th I lost everything, but that's not really the true story. Because I discovered just how deeply and how much God loves me, how much he cares for his fallen, broken kids. Even though I was a hot mess of raw nerves, God's spirit was there. Jesus was so near I could feel his presence. Now, while I wouldn't wish that experience of God's discipline on anyone, I wouldn't trade that dark time for anything because I was beginning to understand and I was learning the meaning of Hebrews 12, 5, and 6, which reads, 
Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Time after time, what many would consider coincidence were clearly, in retrospect, God moments. Another job opened at a bank, PNC at the giant grocery store in Hershey. One Sunday afternoon, one of my clients stopped by and said, Denny, I don't know you other than the fact that I bank here, but I just sense that you're hurting and I'd like to pray for you. Would that be okay? Yeah, it happened. Right in the middle of a giant grocery store. Who does that? Have I, I have never just stopped somebody in the middle of a grocery store that I don't know. Uh, it was cool. And it wasn't too long after that that I realized that God was truly beginning to use people that I barely knew to continue unwrapping some of those grave clothing. Well, that man, Steve, admitted that he had never struggled with homosexuality. But he pointed me to a counseling ministry in Lancaster, day seven. Through that organization, I was encouraged to attend a conference in Asheville, North Carolina, for men and women coming out of the gay lifestyle. I went kicking and screaming. But the very first night there, the worship leader, a guy by the name of Dennis Jernigan, opened with, Jesus, Lamb of God, that song that Ashley's mixtape played over and over and over again in my car. You see, Dennis Jernigan wrote that song. And would you believe it? He had come out of homosexuality. And not only was he healed, but he was now married and had nine kids. His testimony is available online, and I highly recommend it. God was placing time and again men and women in my life who were helping to unwrap ugly, dirty, grave clothes. Please don't think that things were perfect from 2000 up to now. There were ups and there were downs. Lots of downs. Four years ago, I realized that it was pretty essential that I become part of a church family again. Oh, I continued going to my former church. Uh, but it was becoming apparent that while I was there, I would be a spectator at best. And I'd always taught the kids in my youth group that being part of a church family uh, comes with some obligations. You should be involved in the life of the church. You should be involved in ministry. You should reach out and help others who are struggling. And I realized that, that with my past there, that 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 wasn't going to happen. So through a series of, of events, God led me to my current church, the Door Christian Fellowship in Lancaster. And I do want to stop and tell you that that church family is praying for your church family as you're doing this series. And I know that I'm being upheld this morning by the prayers of, of my brothers and sisters there. But I started going there just at the time that they were doing a ministry program called Living Waters. It's part of Desert Stream Ministries out of Kansas City, Missouri. 
And it has to do with restoring relational integrity and specifically healing sexual brokenness. And Lord knows you couldn't have gotten much more broken than I'd been. So here I stand. One man who identified as being gay for most of my life. There is more than irony in the fact that when I came out as a gay man, I came out at a time when you could get beat up, jailed, or killed if anyone thought you were homosexual. I came out at a time when homosexuality wasn't mentioned in polite society, and certainly not in churches. Now here I am, coming out as ex-gay at a time when the tide has turned. It's politically incorrect to even hint that the gay lifestyle is wrong. Counselors who teach that homosexuality is a sin and point the way out can lose their credentials. We're nearing the point where implying that homosexuality is a sin will be deemed a hate crime. The gay community has flexed its muscle and they're not happy to see me here. Recently, I was a target of a Facebook Twitter hate campaign because of my stance. Well, guess what? The religious leaders in Jesus' time didn't just want to see Jesus dead. They also wanted Lazarus silenced. In John 12:9, we read, when word got out that Jesus was back in town, the people came to take a look. Not only at Jesus, but also at Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. So the high priest plotted to kill Lazarus because so many of the Jews were converting, believing in Jesus on account of Lazarus. It's been about 18 months since I was first asked to share my story at a church in Smoketown. Uh, to say that I was surprised is an understatement. With my history, speaking at any church wasn't really high on my priority list. So why am I here this morning? Well, I'm not here to talk about gay politics. Even the ultra-liberal New York Times, as early as last week, last Sunday, stated that the nation has moved to accept all things gay at an alarmingly quick rate of speed. I am here to offer hope to anyone struggling with same-sex feelings, men or women who may be involved in same-sex relationships, or those of you who have friends or family members caught up in the lifestyle. And it is truly a lifestyle. It's a community. I'm also here to offer hope and encouragement to those who may consider themselves straight but are exploring bisexual relationships. I mentioned that because, as I indicated earlier, I was having a lot of sex on the down low. And nearly every one of those encounters were with married men who would never have considered themselves as being homosexual. And I can guarantee you their wives knew nothing about it. The homosexuality you read about in the newspaper is just the tip of the iceberg. So you've heard my story. Dead in sin and finally coming out and recognizing Jesus' voice. Come on, Foreman.
It's time. Come out of that tomb. I was struggling with the remnants of grave entangled of the grave, entangled in grave clothing. And I'd been told to be silent. Now here I stand. I'm not the face of gay men. But I am the face of one broken sinner who was saved by God's grace and is still in the process of untangling. So what have I learned in my journey that has led to being behind this pulpit this morning? First and foremost, God's word is true. The Bible is a love story. We see a loving father God who creates men and women in his image, according to Genesis 1. We see a loving father God who creates men and women to complement each other uniquely. You know the rest of the story. There's a perfect garden, a horrific fall, and sin enters the picture, and we're left with this heart-wrenching scene of Father God calling out, Where are you, kids? Where are you, Adam? Now, the proponents of homosexual rights would like me to believe I was born gay, and I'm going to tell you something. I'll go this far. I was born into a fallen world. And hey, gang, so were you. We're all born with sin natures. David reminds us in Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I saw a YouTube video not too long ago, uh, and I watch it frequently because it re keeps reminding me. It's this little boy. His name's Timmy. And he's trying to look very innocent as his mom says, Hey, Timmy, uh, I had chocolate cupcakes here, but it looks like somebody's been eating the chocolate sprinkles on top of the cupcakes. Did you eat the sprinkles? No, Mommy, I didn't eat the sprinkles. That would have been nice had it not been that he had sprinkles stuck to his nose and chin and face. Nobody had to teach little Timmy how to lie. How many of you had to teach your kids how to be disobedient? After learning the first words, mama and daddy, isn't one of their first words, no? And it's usually followed quickly by the word, mine, as they discover the sin of being self-centered. Yeah, we're all born with sin natures. When I was growing up, there was a popular song that stated silence is golden. Well, it's not. Silence is crippling and it can kill. The church, many churches that are now appalled at what is happening with the gay movement, in many cases, helped set it up. As I was growing up, homosexuality was a word that was rarely, if ever, spoken. The primary feeling among clergy was that once gay, you're always gay. Homosexuals were the butt of jokes and targets by church leaders, sometimes violently so. Who would have thought that three years ago that same-sex marriages would not only be legalized, but would be recognized by the state and by more and more Christians and churches? What in the world has happened? 
Well, we need to relook at Romans 1.16. That reads, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And it goes on to state that God's wrath is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness. All of it. God himself has made himself known since the beginning of time. So mankind is without excuse. Verse 21 continues Paul's theme. For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. In other words, they exchanged the truth of God for idols. And because of this idolatry, God allowed them to indulge in their shameful lusts even women having sex with women and men having sex with men. Well, as I grew up, Romans 1.27 literally became the end of the road. It was the end of that downward spiral that we talk about in Scripture. Added with other Scriptures stating that God calls homosexuality abhorrent, the underlying message that I was hearing was this, homosexuals are lost and churches are didn't want to offer or couldn't offer any solution. In my my particular case, the church didn't want to hear about what I was dealing with. I had been told, be quiet, be silent, don't share. I needed to hear the rest of the book of Romans because it's priceless. It offers hope. I needed to hear that God's kindness leads to repentance. My journey towards healing follows this path. First and foremost, God's word is truth. I grew up believing that, and I still believe that. Listen carefully, because I believe this is absolutely necessary for healing from the sin of any sin, including homosexuality. God's word is true. And when I hear gay activists say, The Bible doesn't really mean that loving relationships between two men or two women is a sin. I get really nervous, and I'll tell you why. It sounds remarkably similar to the line the serpent gave to Eve when he was tempting her to eat the fruit. Did God really say you can't eat that? Does God really say that homosexuality is a sin? Yeah, He does. So for me, the first step toward healing was that I had to accept the truth of God's word. And for the souls, for the sake of the souls of men and women everywhere, those who are bound by the sin of homosexuality or any sin, we dare not let go of that truth. God's word is true. Coming out is a big deal for gays. It means that you're announcing to the world and your family that you're homosexual. 
and every gay organization in the world encourages men and women to do just that. Because the feeling is, is that when you come out, people would recognize their brothers and sisters and friends are gay and normal, and it will open up doors. And if you think this hasn't worked, you haven't been paying attention for the last bunch of years. As I speak, you're witnessing a continuation of my own healing. There was a time when being out was important to me. Well, I'm not going back in the closet, but I am coming out of the bondage of homosexuality and being separate. I am coming out of sin and living in the light of God's truth. I dare not be silent. I cannot be silent because I've learned the importance of speaking out again from Romans. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And according to Revelation 12:11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimonies. Along with wise counsel, I desperately needed to find healing with my peers, specifically solid Christian men who would stand with me in the healing process. There is great truth spoken when God says it's not good for man to live alone. And I realize that I'm taking that entirely out of context. He's referring to marriage at that point. But it's equally true that we need each other. Quoting from my Living Waters text by Andy Comiskey, he says, We need to be known and upheld by trustworthy brothers and sisters who operate in the spirit of Jesus, our great high priest, who extends grace and forgiveness upon any way that we may have damaged her members. While I stand here this morning forgiven by a loving, merciful Heavenly Father, but the fact remains... I need you. We need each other. We need to pray for each other so that we may continue to be healed. And now for the real secret of my healing. I've always loved the stories found in Exodus. God's dealing with the nation Israel. I remember reading and scratching my head, baffled uh, by the way Israel would see God doing monumentally exciting things like parting the Red Sea, for example. And then watch as they turn around and build a golden calf to worship. What? Or God would provide manna from the wilderness. And a few days later, the people would complain and say, oh, we really liked Egypt a whole lot better. They had garlic and onions there. And time after time after time, in the Old Testament in particular, you would hear the issue brought up, idolatry. It's a term we don't use much today. We don't use it because most of us think it's something quaint, maybe for an African nation or somewhere in the Caribbean or the Amazon Valley. We think of it as being little stones and wooden objects that people bow down before. But the reality is, is that idolatry is divinizing what is not God. And here's where I have to return to Romans 1.26. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And as a result, 
perversion and death was the due penalty for that idolatry. Pornography is, in fact, worshiping images of people, a literal illustration of the Romans' passage. And whether I was addicted to porn or homosexuality, I was worshiping the created rather than the creator. But I made a big error. And it's only been within the last three years that I've discovered this. And it's led to radical healing. Let me read 1 Samuel 15:23. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and arrogance, pride, like the evil of idolatry. While I was worshiping other men, and I was growing more and more frustrated with God because he didn't seem to be healing me. And then one day it dawned on me. There was an even bigger than I, homosexuality in my life. It was me. The idol in my life was me. Let me think about that for a little bit. I had spent so much time focusing on the sin of homosexuality that it had become the end-all be-all in my life. Subconsciously, I had started to believe that if I could stop being homosexual, I'd be perfect. Did you get that? I was so focused on homosexuality that I truly thought if that sin were gone, everything else would be resolved. That's crazy talk. In essence, I was saying if, I weren't for, if it weren't for the homosexuality and pornography in my life, I didn't need God. I had forgotten the other areas of my life, like negativity, gossip, overeating, not taking care of my physical body, lying, cheating, the list goes on and on and on. In other words, without homosexuality in my life, I didn't need Jesus. And that leads me to my conclusion and my salvation, Jesus. About three years ago, I woke up from a really scary dream. I dreamt that time is short and I needed to get ready. I'm not claiming to be Joseph or anything like that, but I do know that I woke up really scared. I was scared enough to start really doing a, a major reading of, of, of Scripture. I was using a chronological Bible at the time, and so I was focused largely on the Old Testament. And I kept reading about the commander of heaven's army leading Israel, and in his name, Israel would conquer. I kept reading words like uh, the Lord of heaven's host and uh, every knee at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. And I kept hearing all these messages about a strong and mighty Savior and God. But somewhere along the line, I had lost fact of this, that God is mighty. He is mighty to save. He's a strong, strong Savior. I'm not going to lie to you. If you're struggling with same-sex issues, you're in a war. You're in a battle. But it's already been won. We serve a strong and mighty God. And I can say with Paul from the Corinthians... Don't allow yourself to be deceived by all the hype out there. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor gossipers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. And that is what some of you were. I love that past tense. That is what I was. I was washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you so much for hearing me this morning. Thank you, Denny, for sharing your story.